You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of The Guidepost, Season 2. This episode promises to be very spirited based on the pre-podcast conversations that the three of us have had. Um, This episode, uh, Willie, the codfish himself, Goldsmith, is joining us along with our North codfish along with our north carolina board member captain tom roller of water dog guide service guys how's Ah. everyone doing today doing good hanging in my friend you look like uh (laughs) you look like christopher lloyd a little bit over there with that with that big poofy white hair pluming out oh dude i need a i so need a haircut like this is i'm like a hippie right now this is the longest my hair ever gets and um yeah, I well, might start calling you Doc Brown. I don't know. I mean, you kind of got that look about you, but we'll, we'll we can we can cover that later. Um, so Tony, Tom, great to have you guys. Um, great to be here. I think the plan today, we're here. We're a couple of weeks before the new year, before 2022 descends upon us, and I think we're just going to take a little while to reflect. You know, to think about some of the good that's gone on this past year, some of the not so good. Uh, and also some of kind of the big question marks we still have out there as we as we turn the page on 2021 and, you know, think about what we what we still have to learn and what some of the big uncertainties are in our world. So, uh, you know, it's, a I think, a good time to pause. I think, you know, we're all off the water mostly. I mean, I've still got my my, my silly freshwater stuff here in D.C., but I think uh, it's a good time to be thinking about, um, you know, where we're going to be going next year. So, um, Tony, I'll kick it off. I'll kick it over to you. I mean. A lot happened this year. A lot happened for us at ASGA. A lot happened with fisheries management. Um, what was some good stuff that happened? What did you, what did you, you know, you're, you're a tough man to please, but I think even for you, there was some, some pretty good news this year. What do you got I'm, for me? I'm a ray of sunshine. Just ask my wife, most easygoing person you ever want to meet. I think, you know, the first thing that jumps out in my mind, uh, and it, you know, it was a gift from the almighty that we had that huge bait aggregation off New York and really supplied, you know, a a huge amount of our membership. That's one of our centers of membership with ample fishing opportunities, you know, whether it was sharks or, you know, feeding on the Menhaden or, um, you know, occasional big bluefish. I think they had a few good weeks here and there, but, you know, most specifically, um, the bluefin tuna that were so close to into shore this year, just hammering, you know, everything from juvenile hake to, to, uh, you know, the Menhaden and, and just, just provided a, a spectacle to behold. Um, so I'd and it was right, that, it was right there in the city, right, Tony? I mean, that's where a lot of these fish were. It was pretty wild. I was, yeah, it was just a couple miles off, man. Like, you know crazy town and and jumbo jumbo bluefin tuna which i know is your 
my jam wheelhouse. And I, and I think that would, that'll be the next good thing that we talk about, but you know, to, to look at what it wasn't just a miracle that all of the, all these men Hayden were sitting there attracting, you know, all of these predators. It was actually, you know, a lot of hard work over a decade because believe it or not, I mean, men Hayden take a long time to get to be adults, long time. So, you know, we set the stage for this 10 years ago with the first reductions in, in on the Menhaden fleet. I guess it was, you know, 2012, we got a, a 20% reduction in harvest. And, you know, those fish would be about 10 years old right now. Um, and then it was, it was advocates from our friends at nature conservancy and the, and the whale watching boats and the bird crowd uh, coming together in New York and banning purse saining in state waters within three miles that really allowed for those fish to settle in. I mean, how, how many, how many drone shots did you see where, you know, it was just miles of, it was Menhaden the way they used to be in that one little area. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't luck. So that would be the first, that'd be the first thing out of this year that I think was really positive. And I, and I think it's, it's worth adding too, Tony, you know, I mean, you know, there's, it, it's, it's not always A to B, but it's important to note that Manhattan's really, you know, one of the first examples of thinking about, you know, those ecological roles of these forage fish, right? I mean, we've got the unmanaged forage omnibus amendment at the Mid-Atlantic Council and some other examples, but you know, the adoption of ecological reference points last year um, at the at the ASMFC uh, is certainly something that will hopefully be proactive and making sure we keep enough of those fish in the water for all those predators. So definitely nice to see, you know, the 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 long term outlook for the ecosystem as a whole um, being being looked after. So how about you, Tom? What do you have for us, my friend? Oh, where could we start? You want to talk about fisheries or what North Carolina, what's happened in North Carolina? What's the, what's happening on the federal fishery side? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, where's where's your where's your good news? Where do you see maybe a little bit of relative rosiness, um, you know, coming out of 2021 here? You know, from a fishery side, I think the first thing that I would say from my own perspective in North Carolina was that we've had relatively good fish in the last couple of years. We've had a couple mild winters. Um, that have really helped um, our inshore fisheries. We have a lot of, you know, when it comes to red drum and speckled trout, we've had several really big year classes. Um, that's been really beneficial to to all anglers in the for hire sector. Um, you know, there are some, you know, giant problems, you know, within that, which I think they're all contributing to each other. Um, you know, we have on the state side of things, we have a lot of problem with our southern flounder, but curtailing a lot of the fishing effort on that on that stocks kind of led to a couple things, you know, when you, when we've uh, reduced a lot of that commercial pressure, that's uh, some of these other, uh, uh, fish have responded, uh, accordingly, right. You're seeing a lot more of them in the water. And one rosy point on the state side of things, um, is that we enacted, re we enacted regulations to kind of protect our Southern flounder fishery. And they worked right away. I mean, we're seeing huge catches when the season's open, even if it's only for two weeks. And it's kind of amazing what happens when you actually try to manage a fishery and you put some really strict uh, when you put some when you put really strict regulations in place that the stock needs, and you actually do what the stock needs. Things rebound and respond very, very fast. So I think that's been a big rosy part part for us, right? So, 
So that's pretty cool. So I think what both you guys are saying is you put management in place and good things happen. That's a that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good situation. I think something we can all be all be pretty proud of, and that's that's great to hear. You know, of some 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 encouraging news coming out of there. And I guess you know, on my end, um, as kind of the tuna junkie of the crowd, certainly uh, a big year for bluefin. You know, Tony had mentioned it. There were a lot of fish off New York. There were a huge number of fish off of Cape An- off of Cape Cod and Cape Ann and New England. Um, you know, for much of the year as well, everything from, from, you know, little, little 35 inch fish up to the, up to the thousand pounders, you know, the 110, 115 inch fish, it was pretty wild to see all those fish around. And at the same time, there was a stock assessment update, um, that was done by ICAT and it's found that, uh, the fisheries in, in pretty decent shape here in the Western Atlantic, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of good recruitment, especially I think 2017 was an excellent year and we're seeing a lot of those small fish and, uh, for folks, you know, who follow our follow our stuff, if you will, uh, we have a blog on, you know, kind of outlining uh, that stock assessment on our website. And then uh, we had Rick Weber on the podcast a few a few episodes ago to talk about um, some of the international management outcomes, which included a little a little bump in quota for Western Bluefin um, to reflect uh, to reflect the fact that certainly we're we're looking like we're in the right direction here. Um, and of course, it's important to remember that a lot of a lot of the data uh, that goes into the bluefin assessment comes actually from our recreational fishery on the coast. And, you know, we're certainly working here at ASGA to try to try to improve that data and make sure we've got the the best information that reflects what's happening on the water uh, going into those scientific assessments. So I guess that would be, you know, my my my, uh, my contribution to some of the good news that we saw this year. So, Tony, I know this is your specialty, so I'm going to start with you. Yes, we had some good news. Maybe we also had a couple things that that weren't so great. Um, and I'm not going to call you a negative person, but I think you also are not shy about expressing some of your dissatisfaction at times. So let's start with you. What did you find? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I guess the number one thing that I think would be a negative is the direction that we're seeing um, the Mid-Atlantic Council go in right now um you know we're in a real tough spot with a couple of species where it's kind of weird you know the the species are doing really well they're two times the target level and and the recreational sector is exceeding their their catch limits and you know it's it's a i guess if you look at it one way it's a tough spot to be in and you look at it another you're you're really fortunate to be there because you know the the flip side of having too many fish to catch and 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 having a hard time to you know constrain catch limits to what to the acceptable level is not to have any fish at all and a lot of our guys, that's what they're suffering through. You know, a, a very truncated striped bass season. No weak fish at all to catch. Bluefish showing up for a couple of weeks at a time. But, you know, as luck would have it, scup and black sea bass, which some of our guys do target, but it's not it's not our flagship, right? It's not our flagship species. So, you know, we... we there's a lot of them. I mean, a lot of them. And because there's a lot of them, you know, 
people are more efficient at catching them. The, the, they're, they're out there. They're, they're everywhere. In some places, you know, they're almost like a nuisance, especially that's what we hear from a lot of our, a lot of our members up around Massachusetts with black sea bass. And, um, you know, all of that's well and good. And, and I'm sure people are listening to this and saying, well, why don't you just open up the barn doors and, and let us, let us fish them down. Well, it's because we share our fishery. And we share our fishery with commercial anglers. So like, I don't, you know, we have to, we have to work with them to make sure that fisheries are sustainable and us not adhering to our side of the regulations and holding them to their limits I mean, it's just, it just comes down to an issue of fairness and it's the most basic foundational thing of our association. And I can tell you, you know, all kidding aside, I think it's one of the biggest reasons why Willie wanted to work with us and, and, and why we fought so hard to get funding to pay for somebody, the caliber of Willie is because we don't pick winners. You know, the winner's the resource. Like, we don't take from somebody else to pad our own stats. And that's what's going on at the council right now. Yeah, Tony, thanks for sharing your perspective on that. I think it was, <laughs> it was a long meeting yesterday um, that we and, and many other folks also suffered through. Um, and I think to reemphasize your point, I mean, these are, these are groundfish, these are demersal species, you know, and they aren't necessarily at the core of, uh, of what we do. And at the same time, we know that, especially in the case of black sea bass, we're dealing with a very healthy stock, but at the same time, we need to think about, you know, both the level playing field, but also, you know, applying federal law and realizing that these stocks are rebuilt due to a strong federal law. And we should keep adhering to that strong federal law. Um, to be, because it, because it's worked. And yes, this is a very sticky and strange situation with the, you know, with the, with the, um, with the numbers of fish we're seeing and kind of the challenges here. But I think, you know, to just defy what the federal law tells us to do is not the right way to do it. Um, so, you know, we'll see what comes in, in 2022 here with some other, some other initiatives um, that are, you know, that, that might be addressing this issue. Um, but it was pretty disheartening, I think, to see kind of the, uh, the, the disregard in some cases for, for really what, you know, what our, what our laws tell us we have to do. And that was reflected in some of the comments by, by some of the council members yesterday. Uh, Tom, how about you? What was going on? What was going on down your neck of the woods there in, in North Carolina that was not particularly uh, enlightening or encouraging? Oh man. I mean, I, 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 I think we need about five days on this issue, unfortunately to start. I think I'm going to be a little bit on team Tony here as far as the negativity um, I think, you know, based off of the last comment, one of my most frustrating things with fisheries management is that when we have a good thing, like a lot of fish, we just don't know how to take care of it. And I think that that sums up a lot of the history of striped bass management is we just, we can't have good things. And we spend so much, it seems to me that we spend so much time arguing about having lots of fish in the water and kind of neglecting the problems, right? And I think uh, what, one, one issue that um, 
this might not be the best one to focus on, but at the South Atlantic meeting, the, the director of the ASMFC, Bob Beal, mentioned multiple times uh, how important it was to keep the COBIA assessment on the on the near agenda, right? And to get that done because the public was really concerned and it was one of their hallmark species that, you know, that people were really worried about, they're, they're worried about. Well, people weren't worried about Cobia five or six years ago. And a lot of us in the, let's say, in, in the, in the mid-Atlantic, South Atlantic, argued against removing them from Magnus and Stevens at the council level and giving them to the, to the interstate management because we didn't think they would do a well enough job. Well, from my neck of the woods, I haven't seen a copia in a couple of years now, so they're not they're not doing well, right? Um, and I mean, I don't know how deep we want to go into state or federal issues, but there's some really scary stuff coming up down the pipe on the South Atlantic. Uh, Gag Group are doing really really poorly. Um, you know, um, Silver Snap or Red Porgy, they're they're you know we're um, they're they're not doing well, and we have. A uh, huge rebuilding plan put into place for those guys. We have really strict limits on them. These used to be a really important bottom fish for a long period of time. And um, another thing is, is and, and again, this is a, a whole re- really you know deep deep well you could jump into. But you know, from the anglers in Florida, people are really really concerned about mahi uh, mahi uh, uh, dolphin fish in general. We're hearing a lot of comment about that. There's a brief rundown. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we know you could go on, Tom. I know you, you can definitely tan- channel a little bit of Tony in this one. Um, and uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate all the great work you're doing down there as a as a new South Atlantic Council member. And uh, you know, you've always been kind of the, the 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 diligent guy, being totally up to speed, and that's that's pretty evident with uh, with your commitments down there. So it's great to see it. Um, and we're looking forward to to, to seeing your voice uh, continue to be a powerful one down there. So. Um, so I'm kind of ready to move. You know, I think we've talked about some of the good things, talked about some of the not so good things. And of course, there's a lot we don't know, right? One year in many cases is kind of the blink, you know, the, the blink of an eye um, for some of these issues that take a couple of years to to roll out. Right. And so, you know, I guess moving on here, we've talked about the good and the bad. And, you know, what about the unknown? You know, asking you guys to kind of take your crystal balls out a little bit and think about uh think about what's going on um, with, you know, at that, the state, the interstate and the federal levels. And Tony, let's start with you and let's start with uh, the, the most near and dear to your heart of, uh, of everything we work on striped bass. What's uh what's the state of play here and what do you think is going to go on in 2022? What do I, what do I think is going to go on in 2022? <laughs> Hold on. Let's like, start. Like, let's- I, I don't know. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen an old black and white Abbott and Costello movie? Like that's, it's kind of, kind of like between that and the three stooges, like that's kind of, that's kind of how I view, you know, how, how the managers are going to deal with it. I Look, man, you know, yeah, let's step, why don't we step back and just talk through kind of what went on in 2021, you know, what happened with the PID and with the amendment and all that stuff. The whole amendment is a farce. I mean, I think we know that. It was it was some hack job by um you know the typical you know Mike Luisi pushed it really hard and and if you're listening Mike um I I have no problem saying your name because you pushed it because you knew Stripe Bass were in trouble. And rather than address 
you know, you, you ended over fishing, but you did nothing to rebuild because there's no framework in the commission that can hold the commission accountable for not following its own rules. So rather than rebuild the stock, you decided to do amendment and amendment seven that was just filled with junk. You know, let's change the management triggers. Let's change this timeline. Let's change all of this stuff. So we don't have to rebuild stripers and all the tackle shops and guides and rod builders and everyone up and down the coast business can go to hell in a handbasket because by damn the 400 charter for hire guys in the Chesapeake Bay should be able to kill those fish before they're sexually mature. Damn it. And we had to play the game and we beat them at their game because we got all most of the junk removed from the PID. So now we're in a position where the amendment was held off for, you know, to go out to public comment at the last meeting. They're going to look at it again at the end of January. And all the time they're doing this, you know, one of the issues left in the in the in the hopper is catch and release mortality. The other another issue that's left in the hopper that is kind of an unknown is the stock assessment because it had to be put off for a year because of COVID. So we're gonna get that stock assessment in October. We've had the mass DMF guys on here about their research and that, that's gonna be groundbreaking for catch and release mortality best that's ever been done but we're still moving ahead with this amendment now how do i mean how does that make any sense because if we get this done if they if they send this out for public comment in january the public comments on it you know february march april they come back the carnival's back in town for the next commission meeting so you have april May, June, July, August, September, October. You have six months. And a huge stock assessment will come out. So we're doing all of this without that information? I don't know. The whole thing just seems disingenuous to me. It's just a game to stall and delay to keep harvesting too many striped bass, and it puts us further and further in the hole. So the last thing I'll say about it is there was a planned development team meeting about two weeks ago. And dear Lord, please let me remember this guy's name. You know what? I wrote, I, I wrote it down in an email, and I'm going to look it up. But it was the PDT member from, can anyone guess? Tom, you want to guess? Where was the PDT member from? Maryland. Where all bad things from striped bass come from. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let Mike be the only one that uh that takes it on the chin. Um, I'm gonna find I'll find this guy's name in a second, but the the biologist who's on the PDT in Maryland basically said. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, 
I didn't write your last name, but your first name isn't Bill. It's Simon. So Simon, I'm talking about you. Simon said, kind of chuckled in an arrogant way on the PDT meeting and was like, oh, huh, you think you think we can rebuild this stock? <laughs> With that, that F rate, you know, we shouldn't have to rebuild it in 2029. Can't we go to 2033? No, Simon, we can't. Because the rules don't say that. When they accepted the stock assessment, the clock started. It's 10 years. Just because your boss, Luisi, wanted to do this amendment to screw things up doesn't mean that you don't have to rebuild the stock anymore. Doesn't mean that. There's still a deadline. And I promise you this every single bad decision, not bad decision, but decision that goes against the rules of the commission is another log on the fire for full commission reform. Because we're documenting it, we're making people aware of it. Because it's, 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 it's a sham. So yes, you have to rebuild the stock by 2029, not 2030, not 2033 or whatever ridiculous number you pull out of the air. So that's kind of where we are with stripers. We're going to come up to this meeting in January. Maybe this document will come out for public comment. But to me, the biggest thing that's looming on the horizon is the stock assessment that's going to come out in October because it's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. And it's going to send shockwaves. And if it's as bad as I think it's going to be, you know what's going to happen? All this time they wasted, staff time, money on this amendment at the commission is going to get flushed down the toilet because they're going to look at the stock assessment and say, holy Jesus, we got we to gotta address these things on the stock assessment and this amendment's not going to take care of it. And you're not just going to be able to blame catch and release mortality. It's much deeper than that. So I, I don't know, you know, like you try to put your thinking cap, your strategy hat on and like, are they trying to push this through before the stock assessment or, or have they mucked things up so bad that they're just going to run, you know, parallel to each other? It is a mess. It is, it is a mess. So like, you know, if we want to pile stripers into the unknown category, so be it. Because uh, we don't know because, you know, that the stock assessment in 2022. But man, have they mucked this up? I mean, just mucked it up. So congratulations. I hope you get coal in your stocking. I hope Santa gets stuck in your chimney and backfeeds the smoke. That's kind of what I hope. So here's to coal in your stockings. You rats. And just less less this become a striped bass podcast, as we always seem to to move into, you know, some of the unknowns in the amendment, recognizing what you said, Tony, about the stock assessment and some of the uncertainties there. Um, you know, some of the stuff in the amendment could be beneficial, right? I mean, it's it's worth noting that. Um, you know, the provisions to protect the 2015 year class, bah, some of the humbug. efforts around conservation equivalency. What? Bah, hum, what it, I mean, Willie, what is 
what is protecting the 2015 year class? What that isn't worth the paper it's printed on. They've already been in the meat grinder. They're in in Maryland, they've been in the meat grinder since they've been 18 inches. In in, in on the coast, they've been in the meat grinder since they've been 28 inches. So like, what are you going to protect? That's like saying like, okay, yeah, we're going to protect that village. But we're gonna let the barbarian horde burn it to the ground first and take all, you know, take all the survivors and sell them off, you know, as as war profit. But we're gonna protect the hell out of that thing in like three years, you know? Man. Woo. Circle the wagons. Like too late, man. Too late. You know, when it comes to this, I I just I hear a lot of this sort of comment from fishermen on on striped bass and other fisheries and i just don't understand why people don't want to rebuild this fishery or any or other fisheries in general are people just that much happier with really crappy fisheries with year-round open access because we hear that on on a lot of things on the state level right so that and that's been a philosophical point that i'm that i struggle with particularly with parts of the harvest more crowd that's very predominant in a lot of um, a lot of different fisheries avenues. Does anybody yeah, want to comment on that? Yeah, well, I think it's you know again, it's this question of you know increased harvest, but also increased volatility, right? Um, in the regulations and in the stock status versus having maybe a lower level of harvest, but a more consistent one that you know obviously is going to have to react to what's going on you know with regard to recruitment and all that good stuff but kind of puts you in a more precautionary to the resource approach um which in turn then gives you a better handle on how your fishery is going to look in 5 10 15 years um you know you, if you're stuck in this kind of perpetually reactive state you end up with these big swings um it is interesting i agree with you i think the you know it's a status quo bias right that's part of it too um, and obviously, you know, you guys have been doing this longer than I have, but, you know, I think the, uh, the, you know, the, it's, it wears on you, right. Kind of seeing year after year, that lack of action. So, um, definitely a lot of question marks here and, um, <laughs> needless to say, we'll be keeping a close eye on it. Yeah. What better business through conservation, right? So, exactly. and I don't know about y'all, but. I don't like to see huge swings in fisheries populations. I like a little bit of consistency and a little bit of abundance. And I, you know, it's just amazing to me that that's a hard thing for our managers and a lot of fishery fishermen to grasp. Tom, do you know that, do you know what the daily bag limit on scup is? Our scup, what, not what, your scup. What, 25. We don't really catch that. We catch a few down here. Keep going. 100. 50. 50. Now look, a lot of okay. Let's let's be honest here for a second. If there's a family that gets on a party boat, and you know the whatever eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars, whatever it is, you know, for them to buy the ticket on that boat, and they're there to provide for their family, God bless you. Catch your fifty scup. I mean, God do it, you know, and and that's fine. The stock is healthy it's okay but you know when you see these stocks that are not healthy i mean i don't understand it either where you know i mean not not six seven months ago 
you know, bluefish are declared overfished. There was a, there was a big discussion at one of the council meetings, the Mid-Atlantic Council meeting, of why 10 years can't be the rebuilding timeline for bluefish. And Mike Pentney had to get on and say, if y'all put 10 years on there, we'll get sued. Because it's not 10 years, it's as soon as possible, not greater than 10 years to rebuild the stock. Why would you, if you can do it in three or five years, why would you want to string it out to 10 years? I, I, I don't understand that. Like, just, just take the bite, get it over with. You know, I wonder if people, I mean, Tom, what was blue? How big of a, how big of a part of your business were giant, those like early spring, like 36, 38 inch bluefish that were like all head, you know, nobody super skinny from the winter, smashing poppers on your shore break. How big of a business of that was yours 10 or 15 years ago? I mean, it was there. It was important. It was an April and May thing in North Carolina. We don't get them to the same extent that the mid Atlantic and new England States do, but it was really important. But I will say Bluefish are an enormous part of my business. They're an enormously underappreciated fishery. Um, we kind of see different sizes. Um, you know, North Carolina catches a huge percentage of the East Coast quota, um, but we see a lot of smaller fish. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're seeing a lot less bluefish than we used to. Do I still catch them all the time? Yes, but I catch them in a lot less places, and I've got to try a lot harder. And I and 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 for fish is 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 abundant as bluefish normally are and it's easy to catch that's kind of a hard thing to admit um you know and one of the things that we've seen here in north carolina is in the outer banks charter fleet showing up at the dock with these big catches of ribbon fish also known as atlantic cutlass fish and we at you know you look at that and you say oh wow maybe they're good to eat or something like that or maybe that's just the kind of new thing to catch now they're catching them in the same places they catch bluefish using the same lures and techniques they catch bluefish. They're just not catching bluefish and they're not catching Taylor bluefish, snapper bluefish, whatever you want to call them. Right. I know that went a little bit off the rails on no, your it's, comment it's there. Weird, Tony, Tom, but, because you know what? We're, we're covered up in cutlass fish. Yeah. We, I mean, I think that's probably, probably a climate issue, right? As much as anything or as part of it or nature abhors a vacuum. You know, just, just like their, you know, their biology, you know, they, they hang vertical in the water column. They're weird little fish, man. I, I just, I don't see them. I don't see the Chesapeake Bay being like a great place for them, but damn if they aren't catching the heck out of them here. And it's kind of, you know, shocking to me. Like, I don't, I don't know if I could pick five fish that, you know, I would think may come into the bay because of warming waters, I wouldn't have picked Cullis fish, but they're everywhere. They're everywhere now. And I, like yep. bluefish, uh, no, no bluefish, none. At least, you know, back in the day, we used to have like 12 inchers on, on bad years. And they're not even them. Oddly enough, I'll tell you, Tom, and this is, I know this is something that you work on at the South Atlantic Council. We have had pretty good Spanish, two back-to-back -back good Spanish mackerel years, big ones, big ones. And that's, that's gone a long way in 
filling some blanks for the guiding community with Absolutely. that are left with stripers and bluefish really not being around. So are y'all are y'all seeing good numbers of Spanish down there as well? Yeah, Spanish fisher is doing really well. Um, you know, currently there's a stock assessment uh, in the works uh, from the South Atlantic. Um, we're all excited to see that. But it's very clear that the fishery is very strong. The recreational fishery forum is excellent. The commercial fishery forum is excellent. And they are of great, vast growing importance to the commercial industry. The, the, the value and prices of them have gone up a, a, a lot, um, which is kind of getting in a sticky situation. You know, the mid-Atlantic quotas, several hundred thousand pounds over quota right now. So I've got... I've got one other big unknown, but I don't want to cut you guys off. So you, you know, can Willie's, continue. Willie's not interested because we're not talking about codfish. I got cod, codfish, cod, codfish off, off, off the banks. Well, you're catching a lot of king and Spanish mackerel off Cape Cod now, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, in Buzzards Bay and all that, hundred percent. I like eating them. Cape Cod, Cape Cod, no more. I like eating them, dude. I, I'll tell you, man. I don't know what it is about what, Spanish. Hot or, or I love Spanish. Spanish. Spanish are fantastic. They're great fresh fish. Those king mackerel, underappreciated. When, I don't uh, want to eat it every day, but Tom, the last time I went to last time I fished in Louisiana, we were on this boat with a guide, and and you know we were doing okay, not great. Um, tide was tide was off a little, and uh, and you know we weren't we weren't looking for red drum. And we were just kind of catching those little hammer handle trout, just waiting for the tide to get going. And uh, and I hooked a beautiful Spanish, like 24 inches long. And he bit through my leader. And the guy's like, oh, let's get out of here. I hate those things. And I'm like, you'd rather catch 13, 14-inch speckled trout than a 24-inch Spanish mackerel? I'm like, yeah, don't move this boat. Like, I, I want, And he's like, I've never eaten them. Can you eat them? And I was just thinking to myself, like, you know, they're not good fried, so they're probably not on your dietary list but <laughs> if you just oh, plenty good them, fried what plenty good for plenty good i've fried. never had them fried i just i put them on the grill with soy sauce man and they're fantastic same day i've never i'll take your word for it i don't know if i'd fry a spanish mackerel i don't know yeah, they fry great they do give it a try i think you fully and come on tony it's in it's in your genes you got to try it yeah they're right He's actually hey, King mackerel was great fried. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't think so, but it is. I'm a I'm a I'm a uh, you know King mackerel dip. You know, smoke it, make a dip out of smoke it. Dip, it's about yep. as good as it gets. So Willie, I know you're just dying to get out the last unknown. While Tom and I riff on everything that make us angry in the world. Well, there are many unknowns, Tony. As Yogi Berra once said, prediction is difficult, especially about the future. I had to throw it in there. Um, but yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. Don't don't give me that quizzical look. You know, Yogi Berra quotes are very important to me. Uh, offshore wind. Let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> we have seen a lot of action on offshore wind over the past year. We've seen the first two projects approved, Vineyard Wind and South Fork Wind. Um, you know, there are, um, a dozen and a half active leases along the coast. Um, it's potential, you know, we're going to have over a thousand turbines in the not too distant future, um, from Massachusetts down to North Carolina. Um, a lot of activity here, a lot of uncertainty with regard to what the impacts are going to be, um, to, to fishermen, to fisheries, to fish distribution. Um, and you know, we're working to, to hopefully 
you know, address this issue from the science side, from the outreach side, um, you know, from the, I know the last podcast with Carl Abu from the Nature Conservancy thinking about, you know, making making lemonade uh, in terms of increasing habitat around some of these turbines as they go in the water. Um, but there's a lot of open questions, you know, and we're, we're trying to get ahead of them where we can um, and, you know, recognize this is going to be a, a, a big new use of our oceans on the East Coast. So I think 2022 is going to be another really big year. Um, you know, we've seen the list of of, uh, of projects in the pipeline. There's going to be additional movement on on many of them in the next year, um, and lots of opportunities for folks to be involved and engaged in the process. And we'll we'll hopefully be here as a useful resource to keep folks informed and and aware of what's going on, um, because this is a a big effort with a lot of money and a lot of momentum behind it, and it is coming to our coast. Um, I don't know if either of you guys, as both as coastal residents, Tony in Maryland, Tom down in North Carolina. Uh, if you guys have any other thoughts to add, obviously speaking about this very generally, but if you have any more kind of specific thoughts you wanted to add, please do. I'm wicked excited to catch some codfish off the off the toy binds. <laughs> Can I get a rating for that? That was Tom? that was one out, of, one out of ten. There you go. Okay, well, <laughs> I, that's, 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 that's 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 generous. <laughs> I mean, wind's coming, man. It's coming. What do you, what do you, uh, what are you guys down there saying, Tom? I know, you know, every area is different, right? Because in some regions, you know, it's really just a featureless swath of bottom with maybe not a whole lot of effort in other areas, you know, it's pretty heavily trafficked areas, both commercial and recreational. Um, and it's, it's challenging and every, every project has kind of its own, its own set of issues that have to be confronted. So where I'm at in the central coast, we're kind of at the Southern range of what I've seen in the survey. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. The survey zones, right? Um, most of what's proposed is up off of, uh, the Northern outer banks. Um, you know, and the comments are all over the place. Um, you know, there's a lot of transit traffic in there where they put them in. So, you know, commercial industry is of course, you know, concerned about how that's going to impact them. Definitely seeing a lot of stakeholder involvement there. Um, other than that, in my area, we haven't heard much, you know, you'll hear some partisan grumbling and whatnot, which is kind of what you hear with a lot of green energy stuff. Um, I think, you know, I think the most important thing I can tell any fisherman is just to be involved, pay attention, be proactive. And that's the big one, right? I mean, that's something we deal with in everything we do when it comes to fisheries management is being proactive, right? It's, um, I think folks right now are raising the alarm bells <laughs> and it's a little bit late. You know, Vineyard Wind's already been approved. South Fork Wind's already been approved. And, you know, there are certainly, there's certainly room for improvement in the federal process to make sure that stakeholders are, you know, engaging where they, where they should be. Um, but it's also on us, it's on us as stakeholders to make sure that we're staying informed and understand where, you know, there are opportunities to provide our constructive input. Um, you know, cause again, every region it's, you know, there, there are unique elements in every project, certainly with, you know, Vineyard Wind and thinking about the, the, the cable siting and the cable routes, you know, and, and again, the, the folks who are, the folks who are going to be impacted by that need to be part of the conversation. Um, and so being proactive is a really important part of this. And. I think, you know, is well, <laughs> while the, while the unknowns will still be there, at least those voices will be part of the conversation. And I think that, you know, it's important just as a note that just don't scream no into the wind, just be involved in the process and make sure your concerns are heard for any, anybody. Did in you it. think that up just now? <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, did you think that I did. up just now? You don't believe me? Wow. <laughs> well, I'll take your word for it. 
It's a lot better than Tony's Boston accent. I'll tell you that. Um, that wasn't a Boston Tony accent. Had, no, I know, but was, in terms of trying to be, you know, Peter witty Griffin. or or smart, <laughs> so is your cohort giggity, Island. Giggity. Um, no, you know, I, 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 we have never, ever faced anything like wind. And, you know, when you take a look and that's on the horizon, get it? 800 feet on the horizon. Oh, well. None of y'all have a sense of humor. No, I just deliberately being silent because <laughs> you don't deserve any any attention after your uh, accent attempt. Go on. You know, um, we we don't know what's going to happen, and I I cannot stand. You know, one of the one of my big beefs in fisheries management is, you know, people who make concessions to have a seat at the table. And to me, you've already lost when you've done that. You know, if somebody pulls you aside and said, hey, I'll give you this seat on this advisory panel, this committee, but, you know, you got to play nice. This is this is obviously the reason why you'll never see a committee on my resume because um, I'm like, bite me. You know, that's not how it's going to work. I'm probably not the best candidate for that. But, you know... Um, in this instance, we have to be in the discussion because I got to tell, you know, the listeners that there's a lot of different stakeholders and, you know, some of them genuinely have had their businesses negatively impacted and the developers by law, by agreement, you know, as part of the lease agreement, have to set up a mitigation fund. So, you know, let's say that mitigation fund is whatever, pick a number, it's a million, it's way more than this, but let's say it's a million dollars. And you can kind of file a claim and say, XYZ happened, you know, check all these boxes and I'm, and I lost $40,000 fishing last year because of what y'all were doing with the wind development. And, you know, you get that money. To prove that they'll, you know, or freely hand that money out, once this mitigation fund is set up, if it's not all used, it doesn't go back to the developer. So think about that for a second. You know, once that fund's set up, it's meant to help people. And the developer has no vested interest to deny claims because they're not, they'll, they'll never see that money again. Okay. So, you know, there's, it's it, it, on one hand, it's scary as hell. On the other hand, it's being very regulated, very regulated. And there's, there's stopgap measures in place. Um, and, and, and I guess, you know, the, my overwhelming feeling with all of it is, if as a group we're not there there's there's a very, there's a lack of there are some but in general there's a lack of groups who are fighting for the resource everyone's just kind of fighting for themselves 
And in some situations, that's fine. But we look, man, this is going to be the size of Delaware out in the ocean. You're talking about 2,000 turbines that are 800 and something feet tall, a pop. And that has never happened before. We are not Norway. We are not Europe. I mean, the numbers of fishermen that we have, unbelievable. And how are they going to interact with these new things out on the water? And what is it going to do? And I got to tell you, the listeners, we're there asking those questions. And I think it is a hell of a lot more important than people think it is. Because these things are going to be there. They'll, they're going to be in the water for the rest of my life. They Most of them, I mean, I'm figuring the way I've lived up until now probably doesn't put me in a pretty good category to be 90. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be around then. So, Mike, take heart. You might outlive me. Um, but... They're going to be there for the rest of my life. And, you know, we better have a say in some of it uh, or or else we're just going to be left out in the cold because don't kid yourself. These are energy companies. These are some of the biggest energy companies in the world. And they answer to stockholders and it's not a lot of different between these energy companies and the energy companies that you're more familiar with in the U.S. They have a bottom line. They have profits. You know, they're doing this for a reason. And, you know, along the way, we have to make sure that the resource is okay through it all. And it's not an easy task. I mean, we could have a staff of three people working on this stuff every day, and it wouldn't be enough. I mean, I you know, you ever read a 1,200-page environmental impact statement? I have. It's probably why I'm so bitter and angry at the world. You know, it's awful. It's and and it's not it's not light reading. It's painful shit. So um, I don't think any of us at the Guides Association, when it started, you know, a while back, two and a half years ago now, sat down and we're like, oh man, you know, I can't wait for 2021 when I get to get up every day and work on wind. Like, I don't think any of us really want to be doing it, but we have to do it because that's how big of a deal it is. And, um, you know, I don't know, part of this job is doing the stuff you don't like, you know, like we all have our little niches that we really get, you know, fired up about. And it's, it's why codfish for Willie, it is the codfish. Willie, tell everyone how far across the friggin' world you're going to basically reel in a 50 pound bag of potatoes. I want I want the people to know how deep I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, validate that question, given your insult, the great species. So but I am perhaps going to Norway next spring. 
and it's going to be great. No, I mean, if you like that stuff, I'm sure it's going to be great. But I'm just saying your obsession with with you this is driving yeah, you to go to the other side of the earth to catch these things. Tom, if you if you could travel to the other side of the earth anywhere, what would you fish for? I would go to Norway to catch 50 pound codfish if I like a bag of potatoes. Lies. <laughs> you know, I, I knew you were. I, 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 I've always wondered though, and as far as Atlantic cod, what the Scandinavian countries have done right in terms of preserving their population when the U.S. couldn't do that, right? And speaking of, I mean, because we, we manage our fisheries pretty well. Well, I think up until eight years ago, they were actually going out on Viking longships. So that kind of like prohibited their efficiency in the whole thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Norway. I think we have one listener from Norway. Please don't tell Odin to come and get me. Um, <laughs> but Tom's Anyways. laughing. Yeah. Willie's going to get his ass yeah, kicked yeah. when he goes to Norway. There's going to be like a mob waiting on the airport runway. He made fun of Odin. Is my Norwegian accent oh, better yeah, yeah, than my yeah. Boston accent? I'm trying. I'm reaching here. Yeah, I know. I can tell. <laughs> um, so, offshore wind. Lots of questions. Um, we are doing our level best to stay on top of it and to be part of the conversation about the policy and the science side. But lots of uncertainty there, um, and a lot of a lot of action anticipated for 2022. And and we'll be we'll be here to keep folks updated. Um, and you know, we're going to be with, we're going to be with you all through 2022 we're going to fight like lions, try and save something for our kids and grandkids. Go enjoy the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy new year from the whole family at the guides association. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best and, uh, and look forward to a lot of hopefully positive things in 20. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Dr. Codfish. <laughs> <laughs>